Welcome to the Spooky Tales podcast presented by me, John. And me, Louise. We have been fascinated by spooky goings-on since we can remember and wanted to share with you the stories that pique our interest. Today's story is of hauntings, possession, poltergeist, psychological manipulation and an unexpected twist. It's the spooky tale of the Black Alchemist. Welcome or welcome back to Spooky Tales Podcast. A big shout out to Martin, the moustached flight medic, who, as the name suggests, is a flight medic who has a moustache. However, it's a bit more than that. He's a paramedic on a helicopter, no less, and his moustache is epic. Thanks for the work you do, Martin. So, who or what is the Black Alchemist? Well, our story of the Black Alchemist begins in the UK on the spring equinox of 1985. Let's set the scene. Do you remember 1985? Yes, I do. Okay, so who was the president of the USA? Ronald Reagan? It was indeed. And the UK Prime Minister? Margaret Thatcher. Yes. Now, do you remember what songs were in the charts at the time? Uh, well, uh, I was uh, 12, 13, so, hang on, 1985. Bonnie Tyler, Holding mm. Out for a Hero. Oh, I oh, love yes. that song. Madonna, um, Into the Groove. Aha! Aha! Yes, they're coming back. Yeah. And that would... Take on. I can't remember how it goes. Yeah, take on me. He doesn't go that high anymore. Anyway, yes, I think you're right, but it was not in March. March was in the UK. You spin me right round like a record by Dead or Alive. There was Easy Lover by Phil Collins. I know him so well. What? Phil Collins? What? You know Phil Collins? No, no, that's the title of the song from the musical Chess, sung by Elaine Page. I know him so well. And, and, who else was in it? It wasn't just Elaine Page. Um, okay, no, I don't know. Wasn't he good, oh so good? Yes. I love that song. Barbara Dickinson? Yes, oh, that right. was it! Yes. Yeah, I was going to say Barbara Streisand, but it wasn't Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Barbara Dickinson, I loved that! You were so close with Madonna. It was Material Girl. Living in a material world. That's, I mean, you yes. have hit... The lodestone, the epic mountain of songs that I know. Absolutely. Now, in the USA, it was Can't Fight This Feeling by Ario Speedwagon. Not so familiar with that. No, nor me. But Phil Collins, who also did, he, he was there with One More Night. One More Night. Literally <laughs> any song apart from Ario Speedwagon. That's right. So, we're in the midst of all this pop culture, on the spring equinox, in the dark, in the night... In a churchyard, Ooh. a man dressed in a black robe who was to become known as the Black Alchemist completed a ritual using a wooden stake, some ribbon and a dagger. Gosh. He created two circles of protection against psychic interference before reciting an invocation by the power of Zosimos. Zosimos. Yeah, that's right. To cut loose the head, sacrifice the soul and let him return to raise the head. What uh None of that makes sense to me. None of that. But it sounds dark and horrible. Who's, what was his name? Zosimos. Zosimos. So he was an alchemist who lived in Greece in the 4th century AD, who followed hermetic and Gnostic spiritualities. Okay. 
He was the first to provide a definition of alchemy as the study of the composition of water's movement, growth, embodying and disembodying, drawing the spirits from bodies and bonding the spirits within bodies. Well, that sounds brilliant, but I still don't know what it means. Well, it's the process of turning base metals to silver and gold by mirroring an inner process of purification and redemption. What? Zosimos saw the process of alchemy as more of a religious experience. For example, his teachings were based on his visions. Visions? Visions, yes. Notably a a dream that he had where he meets Ion, the priest of the inner sanctuaries, who fights and impales Zosimos with a sword, dismembering him into four parts representing the elements. This is a dream, yes? Yes, that's correct, that Zosimos was having. Right. Ion then takes the pieces of Zosimos and burns them until there was a transformation from body to spirit. Ion then goes on to melt himself into the form of a homunculus, or a miniature, perfectly formed human being. Oh, that is freaky. Do you know, I'm learning a lot already. I still don't know how this relates to the black, black alchemist, but okay, let's go. His dream is reminiscent of the words of the black alchemist invocation at the churchyard. Okay. Is it? Yes. Oh, I see now. He was invoking something, some sort of transmutation, as once taught by Zosimos. Yes. Is that right? He now, was invoking something. He was bringing something. To- let's go with that. Okay. Yes. So the black alchemist completed the ritual by placing a slate shard with magical sigils on it. What's a sigil? Oh, um, a marking. Right. Uh, he placed it into the ground near the church. But what was he looking to do exactly? What was it all for? Dun, dun, dun! Enter our two heroes of the story, Andy and Bernard. I think this is actually pronounced Bernard for our American listener. Cool. Now, Andy, or Andy Collins to give him his full name, who you might know from his appearances on Ancient Aliens. Yes. Recently, he's done a lot of research on the star formations of Cygnus and also on Globecki... And also on... Gobekli Tepe. Go on, say that again. Gobekli Tepe. That's that's perfect. And where is that? Gobek, Gobekli <laughs> Tepe. Yeah. All right, is that's the stone formations in Turkey? Yes, they're mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. twelve. Oh, I don't know, twelve thousand years yes, old. Recently found, having been buried on purpose, not just covered by the ravages of time. That's the really weird thing. Yes, and absolutely. And so Andy Collins had reason to believe that these and many other stone formations, temples and monuments around the world, Stonehenge and the like, are aligned to the Cygnus star cluster. Indeed. Goes on to say that it is where DNA itself originates. I'll put a link to this book, The Cygnus Mystery, and his book on Gobekli Tepe, so that you can get the full story on that in the show notes. Right, so he's always been interested in this kind of thing. Absolutely, yes. Yeah? Okay, so what about Barnard? So, Bernard was Andy's oh, friend. Is he Bernard? It's Well, Bernard's the English way of pronouncing it. And he is it. English? Yes. Oh, Bernard. Uh, but Bernard is the, I think that's the American way of okay. Bernard. Uh, yeah, Bernard um, was Andy's friend. He was a manager of a local business in Essex and also a gifted psychic. Ooh. Now, Bernard and Andy worked together 
on their psychic questing activities. What's psychic questing? So it's going on a quest which is led by divining clues uh, psychically through dreams, various forms of divination, visions, visits from Egyptian goddesses, that sort of thing. Oh, I see. The the usual run-of-the-mill week. That's right, yes. Okay. So, Bernard was on a business trip near to Tewkesbury in the Cotswolds, Gloucestershire, in the west of England. Tewkesbury is a medieval market town and has a magnificent abbey. As it happened, Bernard had been wanting to visit Tewkesbury Abbey for some time to look at the tomb of Robert Fitzhamon, who lived from 1045 to 1107. Fitzhamon was a cousin of William the Conqueror and a relative of the Sinclair family. Ooh, Sinclair? They built Roslyn Chapel in Scotland, didn't they? Yeah. If you believe the book, The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, that's where the, des- the descendants of Jesus... Yeah. Did they did they live there or they were... There was information in the chapel. Yes, that's kind of built into the chapel, or so, or so they believe. And the Sinclair family are descendants of... Well, it depends if you... Bloodline. If you believe that the Holy Grail is actually about a bloodline... Then they um, are part of that bloodline. Yes, oh, right. exactly. Uh, and and so it's actually the book that um, uh, inspired Dan Brown's pa- well, it may have inspired uh, Dan Brown's page turner, The Da Vinci Code. Yes. So with all these connections, Fitzhamon was a pretty big deal. So it's a Norman Abbey. Is yes, it? that's right. That's quite unusual. I assume it didn't get smashed by Henry VIII when he dissolved the monastery. No, the town came together and bought the building, using Ooh. it as their local church to avoid such a fate. As Bernard was entering the abbey, his psychic senses were heightened. As he wandered around the magnificent building, he started to hear voices, and one said, They come at the sun's height. Upon turning around, no one was there. So he just heard that voice. Just heard the voice. So he was entering in, and he heard a voice. Yes. And then another voice said, It is the sign of the Lord. Once more, and he turned around, there was no one there. And that was a different voice, he said. Different voice. Okay. Bernard came to Fitzhamon's tomb, but could not enter the small chantry into which it was situated. Is this your first visit to the abbey? Came a voice. Ooh. Bernard was spooked and turned around, but this time the voice did actually belong to the abbey's verger. Oh, right. Okay. So after some discussion, he was let in to the chancel to study the tomb. What is a chancel? Is it just oh, an area? Yes, yeah, a small sort of gated area. Oh, right. Okay. Um, is it because it's ancient or it's because it's... Is that, it's just one of those things, is yeah, it? why not? Okay. Um, he was led into the chantry to study the tomb. Bernard decided to try psychometry on the tomb. What's that? So that's where you try to sort of tune in to the, uh, the tomb itself and whoever, whoever whatever may be uh, around. So you're looking for the energy, are you? Yeah. You're trying to pick up the energy? That type of thing. Okay. All good psychic stuff. Right, okay. So, Psychometry. Mm-hmm. Psychometry, yes, on, yeah. the, on the tomb, to see what he could find out. And after some time, a voice inquired, Who are you with knowledge of me that stands so quiet at my resting? It was not the verger this time. Wow. The voice had come directly into Bernard's mind. He assumed it must be Robert Fitzhamon. Who else could it be? Well, yes. There then followed a conversation in which the deceased Fitzhamon demanded to know 
what had happened to the stave of Nizar, which was given to him on the field of battle from a dying friend in the Crusades. It's Hammond's wish was that it be buried with him upon his death, but it never was. Gosh. It was stolen by, as Fitz Hammonds puts it, the bastard sons of the half-wit Robert of Montaigne. This was all, he heard all of that in his head? Yeah. Gosh. That's right. Okay. Lost forever, or was it? Fitz Hammond was now silent, but Bernard started to get more voices and images in his mind. Wilmington, Paganus, Church, Woods. Upon his return to his home in Essex later that night, he sat down to try to make some sense of his extraordinary visit to Tewkesbury Abbey. And who wants to go to Tewkesbury Abbey? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sounds great. Absolutely. This is going to be, is this going to be one of those things that we now have to write a list of all the places we want to go? Yes. Yes. Cool. So We could go was... on our own little psychic quest. Yes. Mm. Although I'm not sure if I want to meet a black alchemist. True. No, let's not, yeah, just. Just if the name is putting me off, yeah. I don't know. Then just go to a yeah. tea, you know, tea shop after. Oh, that'd be so cool. Mm. Anyway, so what this, I don't know what a stave is. A stave of Nazar? Nazar. Yeah, Nazir. Nazir. Stave of Nazir. And what was so important about it that he wanted it buried with him? Mm. Well, Bernard, focusing his mind, was able to gain more impressions to piece together the story. It was a gold serpent rod used by a high priest. The rod was handed down from one priest to the next, and it was lost and then rediscovered where it was stolen, sold, stolen again, sold, given to Fitzhammond before being stolen once more by, as Fitzhammond put it, the bastard sons of the half-wit Robert of Montaigne. So it is one of those kind of treasured artifacts in some way. Yes, yeah? absolutely. But it's a work. It's a. It's used. So it, it, it was used in a ritual ceremonies by the Egyptians. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it has been a prized thing to to, to hold and yeah. to have. It was taken to a French priory in Wilmington in Sussex, South England, where it was used as an important ceremonial object. So priory, so that's where monks, is it like not a monastery, but it's where they, a priory is where people worship? Is yeah. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, I think there's um, the sort of religious people there. Okay, so French priory. Yes. Yeah, it seems, if French, they settled in Sussex, which um, I suppose being coming over from France and the sort of Norman invasions on. Yes, because that's one of the southern counties, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Bernard also picked up that they had other sacred sites in the area of Wilmington. Okay, now I want to go to Wilmington. Yeah. So that's the second on the list. That's right. Okay. And now this one was a castle mound called Burlow Castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was thought to be the haunt of fairy folk mm-hmm. and used by pagans before Christians ruled the roost. Yeah, they're cheeky sausages. Indeed. Also, a small church on a hill surrounded by a small wood. This or another church built by Paganus upon the instruction of the monks in the village of Lullington. Wow. The stave was used at these sacred sites also. So, Wilmington? Yes, Wilmington. Is that the same Wilmington where the long man of Wilmington is? The man carved on the chalk hillside? Yes, that's the one. The one with the big, you know, um, aubergine. Isn't that what we call it? Isn't that kind of the, the emoji that yeah, we use? I think use? that's the emoji. Well, you mean his, his sort of club? 
I wasn't thinking of that <laughs> no. type of car, but right. okay, we can call it that. I think you may be thinking of the the other um, man carved into a hillside. With a big aubergine. With a big aubergine. Yes. Um, which is the Cern Abbas giant. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, so this giant Isn't was... that near the kind of the, the horse? Like, mm, it's near a horse. Near a, no, yeah. I mean a chalk horse, not... <laughs> It's it's a, yeah there are two it's not that yeah it's a, it's a bit a bit of a distance okay. between the horse near uh, in Wiltshire yeah so um, we've seen and then that. the other one in Oxfordshire but uh, yeah we've seen both I think yeah I don't know if I have seen the Cernabas no I've definitely not seen the Cernabas no giant. okay right okay yeah so that's another place to go yes <laughs> we're just gonna go have such a list so the mat this giant man in Wilmington carved into the hillside has two staves one in his left hand and the other in his right all right so these are these staves representative of the stave of nazir ah, that's actually a good point i hadn't thought of that i, I don't think so but it you know could well be but actually i i think i might have misnamed them as staves because they're thought more to be spears or staffs but right, staves so. staff rod pretty much the same thing really it's just a matter of sort of length anyway bernard spoke to andy collins about what he had discovered and Andy confirmed his psychic work through research. So what Bernard actually had picked up through the ether, through energy, Andy was able to say, yeah, yeah here, this is it. That's, yeah. You're absolutely right. These are the, this yeah. is the proof of what you've... Andy was great at sort of getting his nose into a book in the library right. and, uh, and discovered that, yes, these things were all, um, all, you know, things. They weren't just completely nutty. It's mad, isn't it, that some people are just so good at that kind of research and yeah. kind of like really good about following threads through books and, and stuff like that. That's right. Yeah, so it sounds like they've got a good team here. Indeed. So the next step in the quest was to see if they could find the stave of Nizar, thinking it probably... Nizar? Nizar? Nizar. Nizar. Pardon, yeah. Thinking it probably being located in the small priory, probably in a dark, damp, dank, spooky crypt. Ooh, so what happened? Well, there didn't appear to be anything at the Priory, so they went to Burlow Castle. Right. There, Bernard saw a four-foot guardian dwarf, big beard, leather tunic, the works. Gosh. He was looking at Bernard and Andy and laughing at them because they had entered the space from the wrong direction. The plateau had a turf maze on it which had to be entered from a certain direction during religious ceremonies. He told Bernard his name was Ogmore. So could both Bernard and Andy see Ogmore? No, just Bernard. Andy assumed it was some form of elemental thought form placed there by a priest magician to guard the sacred space. They decided to ask Ogmore about the stave of Nizar. However, this angered Ogmore. Using what? what? The question? Or yes. talking to him? Uh, well, to asking the question about the stave of Nizar. Right. Angered Ogmore. An angry dwarf, an elemental dwarf, thought form. Anyway. Uh, in a tunic. In a tunic, leather tunic, yes. Using automatic writing, Bernard tuned into the dwarf more deeply. Oh, he's brave, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. I'm not sure I'd tune into an angry... An angry dwarf, yeah. Thought form. Dwarf in a leather elemental. tunic. Yeah. yeah. So Bernard wrote that they had pierced his heart with the rod. Gosh. And I'm, I'm assuming that's the stave of... Of Nizar, and reduced his strength, not heeding his warnings to depart. From this, it was clear to Andy that Ogmore was the spirit of Burlow Castle Mound. Right. Andy thought he could help Ogmore by a strong visualization of golden light, to which the dwarf ran into the middle, 
his strength returned, and he gave the questers a clue for the next stage of the journey. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, you went through that quite quickly. Yeah? So... Is there a bit to unpack there? (laughs) I I feel a little bit. A little bit. So it was clear to Andy that this elemental thought form of a dwarf in a leather tunic Mm -hmm. was the spirit of the where they'd visited yes right so the, it was a representation mound, yeah. right so he was so and he thought he could help him yes because he was at, he was uh, and his his strength had been reduced oh, i see i see i see by the stave yes so he wanted to, a strong visualization so is that kind of like walking to the light yeah that kind of thing yes right. okay so andy sort of projected this strong visualization of golden light and ogmore walked into it. Okay. By walking into it, into the golden light, his strength returned. Oh, so it wasn't like walk into the light and depart. It was like walk into the light and... Get your strength back. Get your strength. Okay, right. Yep. Okay. Right. I'm with you now. Excellent. So, he decided then, so the Ogmore gave the questers a clue for the next stage of their journey, which was very helpful of him. To find the stave. Yes. That's the journey. That's right. Telling them of the legend of Peridur, who is told to hunt a white stag in a small wood when he lost a game of chess. So Peridor loses a game of chess. Chest? So Perimor loses a game of chess and is told to hunt and is told to hunt a white stag in a small wood. Right, okay. Right. So that's because I got that, that he was playing a game of chess in a small wood. No. <laughs> Sorry, perhaps it's the way. <laughs> I don't know. So, so he lost that. a game of chess. Yeah. And his forfeit mm-hmm. was right, Peridor, off you go. Hunt a white stag. White stags, you see, haven't I read that they're kind of like mystical creatures, white stags, and you should always be protected, they're protected. Oh, interesting. I, I've, I've always thought that that was, you know... Oh, I didn't know that uh, angle. Yeah, so that actually sounds really quite... But there is another angle I know, but Ooh. I'll come to that. Ooh. Yes, so he was, his forfeit, go and hunt a stag in a white, uh, sorry, no, a white stag in a small wood, uh, because he lost that game of chess. But then yeah. Ogmore added ominously, mm. remove head. Right, what, remove the stag's head? Yes. And also, small wood, is that like the wood, is, is, is a wood nearby? Or at Lullington, is it Lullington they are? Yes, so and that's, that's near, right. Is that not near Wilbur? That's right. Yes, so he said those words. Um, you, you know, if you remember, the, the dwarf said, uh, Bernard had picked up that he said um, church, wood. Um, oh, right, so that's, why it's, so that's why Lullington. So there's a wood at Lullington. So it's a wood surrounding the church. Lullington. Well, that's exactly what Andy and Bernard thought. So, having had this confirmed by the dwarf, they headed off to the church to remove a head. A right. stag's head, perhaps. Okay. The church was just down the road, and once at the church, Andy looked round for a statue or something with a stag's head. Okay, that he was going to take off. Yeah, I mean, they assumed it was going to be a, it's a representation of the Right, you, you yeah, know. yeah, um, yeah. Uh, they didn't appear to be anything that fitted the description. Bernard decided to wander through the tiny churchyard. Yeah. He had a concerned expression on his face. And as he turned to Andy, he said that he had the feeling that black magic had been going on at the church. Really? Why? It was just a feeling he had at this stage. Andy did not think it was connected with their quest to find the stave of Nizar. What? He didn't think that... He didn't think this was connected, the feeling... That's right. There was just something different. Just something that maybe if it had happened, it was was separate. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so um, 
Andy continued his search around the wooded area surrounding the church and inside the tiny church as well. But nothing, no stag's head or anything that could be interpreted as a stag's head. Andy joined Bernard, who had been outside by some stone foundations, trying to tune in to the location to see what he could find out. He was looking concerned and starting to get a headache. Andy left him alone to continue the tuning in. Andy decided to sit in silence in the church and ask for help. I guess that's kind of psychically as well, rather than yeah. going, help. <laughs> yeah. So he was gonna he was gonna tune in in his own way. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. For help. Yeah. Not long later, Bernard came and found Andy. He said, "Come on, let's go. I think I know what's going on. He's better take a look at this." Gosh. Bernard handed Andy a muddy length of polished stone about eight inches in length. Ooh, could this be? Could this be? It was blue-grey in colour and shaped like a spearhead. Okay, maybe not. Along its sides were lines of magical symbols or sigils. Oh no, so actually, that actually does sound like it could be what they're looking for, doesn't it, in some way? And Bernard had found it by the stone foundations. Ooh. He had been guided there. Yeah. And his meditation had helped to pinpoint the location, so he did have help. So he did have help, Yeah. yeah. However, Bernard's headache was much worse and he was starting to feel ill. He wanted to leave as soon as possible. So was that was that the the head do you think that was the was the sphere and the feeling of, of black magic connected to the, to everything? Yes and yes. Oh. Bernard confirmed the connection and Andy realized that the spear was indeed the head that Ogmore had requested they find and remove. Oh, so it was oh so that was like the head of the spear, head of a State, perhaps, um, or just a head of a weapon, or yeah, it was the thing that um, uh, basically, you know, took Ogmore's strength. Oh right, okay. They made their way back to Wilmington Priory, where they had started the day. Yeah, and after giving some time for Bernard to recover, Bernard diverged more information that he had picked up when he had held the spearhead. It was placed there, he said, by just one man working alone and done as a ritual of some sort when the sun was low. I could see shadows being cast across the churchyard. The person who put it there, he was quite tall and wore a black cowled robe, its hood concealing his face. Oh, a proper proper magical ritual then. Not necessarily dark because you don't mm, know yeah. that yet, no. do you? But he's obviously got some, he got you know, bad got some feelings, yeah. bad vibes. Yeah. Okay, now, what, well, what else did he see in his, his vision? Well, Bernard said that he used the stone foundation as an altar and built a magic circle using a dagger and a yellow cord that he took from around his waist. This was when the spearhead was left. It was to seal and intensify the ritual's purpose. What was what was the purpose? Why at this church? Unclear at this point. Bernard and Andy were confused. They had started the day looking for an Egyptian ritual rod, the Stave of Nizar, and ended up, at the request of an elemental dwarf, removing a black magic occult stone artifact from a churchyard. Yes, it sounds like it had got a bit dark too. <laughs> Indeed. The next night, Bernard had a disturbing dream. There were hundreds of rooks in a frenzied state and unable to fly. Yeah. Also, there were three figures in black, cowled robes, stood in the centre of the... Can I just go back? So, I I think, I, I just, well, I was just wondering, 
Bernard was taking a risk. If he's just seen a vision of a ritual and he's removed an item, yeah. he has no idea what... You know, that's quite a thing, isn't it? Do you God, not think? Absolutely. Do you know, that never even occurred to me that um, that might have been... Mind you, that Ogmore had said, remove the head. Yes, but they're, they're but taking... You're right, it's a massive risk, isn't it? Because they've no idea what was infused with that. No, and they have no idea what that ritual was that he was doing. Mm -hmm. So Ogmore, Ogmore mm -hmm. might have been saying, remove it, because it's affecting him, but there may be, it may be there for some other reason. I mean, it seems to be dressed up as a black magic thing, because it's got kind of hooded cowl and everything. But that is quite a risk, and pick up a, a ritual item and take it with you. Yeah. That's quite a big thing, isn't it? Well, perhaps it's not surprising you had such a disturbing dream then. You know, because it uh, obviously really infected him. Yeah, because I just think, you know, if you if you deal with anything to do with energy, you mm -hmm. know that collecting something like that, you, you're disturbing its purpose, aren't you, if you've mm -hmm. been put in that way? And I think that was really risky. I'm surprised at Bernard, who was obviously made that, yeah, would, would pick up something like that, don't you think? I, I, you know, it had never occurred to me, but yes, um, and it certainly would make sense why he had such a disturbing dream, and and some of the things from the from the events that followed. Can I also ask? Mm -hmm. Is this a real story? It is a real story. Is it? Yeah. Because you'd never mentioned it if it was real. This is a real life. This, the, this, this is this is actually this actually happened. This actually happened. Yeah, certainly according to Andrew Collins and Bernard. Right. So let's go okay, back. Okay, sorry about that. No, uh, really, really good point. So I'll just go back to the dream because he had this disturbing dream where there were hundreds of rooks in a frenzied state and unable to fly. There were also three figures in black, cowled robes, stood in the centre of a clearing around a black Calvary cross. What's a Calvary cross? Um, I think that, you know, it's just like a wooden cross like uh, those on, Cal on Calvary Hill in, uh, in Jerusalem. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just a way of saying, a, you know, like a... Crucifixion cross. Right, okay. Um, so the evil feeling in the dream so unsettled Bernard that he woke himself up and went downstairs to make himself a drink and get out of the nasty feelings of the dream. Yeah. Oh, I think we all know that feeling, don't you? Oh. That you only want to get rid of a dream. Ooh, yeah. Absolutely. So he could not identify the place. He thought it might be somewhere near Lullington Church. Yeah. But there was a distinctive mound. And with all the rooks, he got the feeling it was called the rookery. Yeah, or something with rook in the title. Yeah. Yeah. He would ask Andy to see if there was such a place. So, you know, obviously going back to what you're saying, he gets Andy to do all the research. Yeah, good man. So did Andy know of such a place? Yes. Uh, but he came across it whilst researching the meanings and the markings of the spearhead. So Andy did? Yes, uh, uh, Andy went off to uh, to find out what he could find out about the spearhead uh, itself and the, and the sigils. And they took it, the spearhead? They took, took yeah, it with them? Yeah, they right? took it with them. Okay, cool. So, initially, Andy could not find anything similar in his own research. Yeah. So, where might you find an expert of magical alphabets? Cambridge! Yes, absolutely spot on. So, he got in contact with two experts who might be able to help. Yeah. A man called Nigel Pennick, Cambridge-based author of books on ancient mysteries and pagan traditions, Ooh. and a lady called Prudence Jones. Excellent name. It is a good name, isn't it? Who specialised in Norse and Teutonic or German pagan mysteries. Wow. Actually, that sounds really good, uh, sort of Germanic pagan mysteries, doesn't it? I must look those up. They sound fun. Anyway. It sounds like they could be quite heavy. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. Anyway, Nigel had a book. The Wilmington Giant, Ooh. and in it, 
was a chapter called The Quest. Ooh, how weird. Yeah, they were on a quest. Yeah, they were a quest, yeah. In which it referenced an article entitled The Long Mound of Wilmington, which linked the area around Wilmington, including Lullington and Borough Castle. Where they met the elemental dwarf. Yes, that's right. Anyway, he linked the area to the legend of Peridor. So remember, the, uh, uh, that was another word that he picked up. Oh, right. So that was the, the man who lost um, the game of chess yes. and had to go hunt that's right. the white stack. That's the one, the very cool. same. Yeah. It was all starting to fit. Yeah. So, in the book... The, the Wilmington Giant. Yeah. And in there, there was a mention of a place called... The Rookery. Yes, that's yeah. right. So, it, described exact, it was described exactly as Bernard's dream stroke nightmare. And it was near Lullington. Yes, just down the road near uh, Buller Castle. We're going to have to go. We're going to have to go. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So what about the magical markings? What did they mean? Could Nigel help? Well, Nigel and Prudence couldn't help. Oh. They couldn't find reference to them either, except for similarities to a bardic alphabet, which was used by pseudo-druids in the 18th century. Pseudo-druids? Yes, probably more accurate to say neo-druids, part of the Celtic revival in the 18th and 19th centuries based on beliefs and the ideas of ancient druids. Oh, see, you say a revival, but they may never have left, you see. This is the whole thing about druids. Yes, I suppose that's the kind of um, mainstream thought. That's the mainstream thought, yes. So whoever made the markings was using a more recent form from these magical beliefs then, yes? that could be. Mm -hmm. Andy and Bernard went back to their normal lives and it was another month before they met up in an Essex pub. I think it was called The Griffin. Okay. So, although the experience at Lullington had made Bernard physically sick, Gosh. he was hopeful, Andy was, that he could persuade Bernard to psychometrize the stone spearhead and pick up more information on the mysterious occultist to whom it belonged and the dark ritual for which it had been used. Seems a bit pushy, but I suppose how else were you going to find out what was going on? There's a taking a risk again, isn't it? Yes. With a ritual item yeah, connecting guess, to it. But I guess that's part of psychic questing. Yes, take, yes, risky business. They had tried to sort of, and he had tried to sort of mitigate the risk somewhat by dousing it, uh, the, the spearhead in holy water to try to sort of negate its negativity. Right, okay. The power that it has had on Bernard before, mm-hmm. the nasty feelings. Yeah, so right. he, his, he was hoping, obviously, that, okay, put holy water on it, so perhaps it won't be affect him so much. Right, okay. Bernard reluctantly agreed. Don't blame him. He used automatic writing, or scribbles as he called it, uh, to what came forth. So what is automatic writing? Well, that's what he was doing earlier. So you basically put your pen to the paper, yeah. try to sort of uh, go into a meditative state yeah. and see what comes forward. So right. it's like psychic writing, if right. you right. Okay, yeah. Okay, so Bernard was going to use that. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's what he was doing. He did earlier on uh, as well. Anything come from it? I yeah. mean, it must be quite difficult in a pub. Well, Public house. <laughs> I wanted that. In a hostelry. That. Yes, because it's, I mean, even if it was quiet, you you know, you're sat there, probably with your eyes closed, looking like you're yeah. sort of um, going going into, into some sort of trance. Yeah. And people playing a jukebox yeah, or, you to know. Yeah, that's right. And the fruit machine. And the fruit pool, machine going. Um, <laughs> drinking, going, whoa, you know. And, um, Mind you, if it was a pub like in Midsummer Murders, they'd probably, yeah. they'd probably quite like that, wouldn't they? <laughs> that's true. They'd probably pubs in Midsummer Murders that they do this kind of stuff. Yeah, but so even though, or that maybe, unless of course they they, they were all very aware of of uh, Bernard and what he gets up to. Oh uh, yes, yeah. it could be. Oh, old Bernard being himself yeah, right, yes. in the corner yeah. with his pen out. Yeah. 
psychic questers in the corner. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he's automatic writing again. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, what he got this time was just a lot of words that didn't seem to make an awful lot of sense. Okay, what sort of words? So, sulphur, bringing to life, God. dying into the flame, God. skull, rework, relive. So, on their own, they, they, they make sense, but together it's kind of, well, what does that tell us? Yeah, bring to life, dying into flame is all a bit. Yeah, but he did. It? He did get an impression of the year that the ceremony took place, which was 1985. Oh, that's the year that we're in. Yes, well, right. not well, no, that we're talking not. about. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Serial yeah, so, girl. Yes, that's mm. right. So this this really surprised them yeah. because they'd assumed it was years ago. Yeah, you know, and they were picking up from stuff from from many years back. Yeah, because um, you know, black robes never go out of fashion. Well, that's do very they? true. Yeah. yeah, and and they didn't. What they weren't sort of uh, set up for was to to realise that the occultist he would still be around. Oh gosh, well, so was, he. yeah. So it just been put there almost. Yeah, that's right. And he concluded that the occultist was a very capable black magician of strong mind and able to block out anyone who tried to attune to them. To attune to the man? Yes. Right, to, to the, the person. Occult, that's right. So the occultist was a, you know, could the black alchemist could block it out. He was, right. He was good at that. Had shields up. That's right. Okay. So Bernard did pick up some impressions of the man, though. He okay. could see a man in a dark room surrounded by old wooden benches, skulls, odd things being burnt in glass bottles, Gosh. and birds like rooks, crows or ravens. This, coupled with the words that came through, suggested the man was an alchemist, ah. a black alchemist, interested in not only the transmutation of base metals, but of his own soul into a higher state to achieve immortality. So wow. that's going back to the, the Zosimostar. The, right, okay. So he he got a sense of that. Mm -hmm. That's what the ritual was that he was doing. Or he was just interested in it. Yes. Yeah. Right, okay. So, no, well, probably more than interested. Um, he was, he yes, was it wasn't, actively it wasn't, it wasn't just pursuing, a sort of curious... Uh, reading a book about yeah. it. It was, it was an actual, right, okay, yeah. yeah. So Bernard, not surprisingly, was, was getting wary at this yes. stage. Yes. He also got the feeling that when he found out the spearhead was missing, he would plant another. He also got the feeling that they had not seen the last of him. Gosh. Well. So there we go. Yeah. The end of part one of The Black Alchemist. Join us for part two. Have our heroes Andy and Bernard unwittingly fallen into a trap set by The Black Alchemist. What were his intentions? Whatever they are, they were not for the good. Gosh. Now, before we go, I just want to mention another excellent podcast called Stories of Strangeness, created by Mike and Zoe. And what I'm going to do is just let them tell you all about it. Hello, I'm Mike. And I'm Zoe. And we're the hosts of Stories of Strangeness, a paranormal podcast that talks about... Aliens. Cryptids. Conspiracy theories. Hauntings. What have we spoken about? What biscuit would you offer a banshee? Are squirrels intelligent? Would you really be distracted by the shadow of a sausage? Some people are. Tune in every other Monday on your favourite podcast player. We hope you enjoyed the first part of this spooky tale. We look forward to joining you again for part two. If you have enjoyed these spooky tales, please do tell others and please leave us a review so it can help other people who might enjoy our podcast find us. Thank you. Please do tell us your spooky tales, either in the YouTube comments or via email, which is thespookytalespodcast at gmail.com. 
and come and follow us on Instagram at the Spooky Tales Podcast. Or why not visit us on our Facebook page at Spooky Tales. Thanks again. Until next time for part two. Bye. Bye. Thank you.